Week seven here in prayers, uh, and this week I've I titled it, and, and you can probably guess here where we're going, is, is still waiting. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, 25 to 35. And again, we've been, we've been looking at just different prayers in the Bible. And so this is the seventh one that we've looked at. There's a lot more than the nine that we're going to cover because uh, we're going to be going into uh, January 1st as well as January 7th. Just a reminder, we're not having church next Sunday in person. So if you want to go visit another church, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, don't, don't come here. Uh, the doors will be locked. If you want to attend First Baptist, they'll, they'll be open at 1030 uh, I think, I actually don't know that, so uh, check uh, online. Um, but anyways, we will not be having service, but there will be, again, if you go to, if you just go to the website, I, I forget the link, maybe it's hopecc.com slash Christmas, that sounds right. Um, there actually will be a thing on there that for, you to, for you to do on Christmas morning. Um, I kind of have a pre-recorded thing. Um, and so I think I'm actually wearing the same Jeep sweater. So, uh, just want to let you know about that. So still, still waiting, looking at Luke chapter 2, 25 through 35. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read the passage, just kind of a smaller chunk this morning. So I'm going to read through it and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll jump in. So let me, let me read here in Luke chapter 2, starting verse 25. It says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him and, he had, and it had been revealed to him that the Holy, by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child uh, to do for him what was the custom of the, the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. So what is going on. A little bit of context like we normally do. I'm not going to necessarily give context within uh, Luke chapter 1 or chapter 2. We looked at Luke 1 last week, looking at the prayer that Mary uh, offers to God as she is still pregnant with the Messiah, and now the Messiah has been born. So we kind of skip the parts, right? We kind of skip Luke chapter 2 in the beginning. We, we skip, we're skipping over the, the narrative, the story of Jesus being born, and now we're, Jesus is going to be dedicated at a temple, but before we get to Simeon and his prayer, there's been 400 years of silence, what, what people will call the intertestamental period, right? In between the Old and the New Testament, there's 400 years from Malachi, or we kind of joke about the, the Italian prophet Malachi, um, stupid joke, and yet you have to say it. So you got Malachi, and then you got 400 years of silence. That's a, that's a long time to wait. And it's, and it's not like one person can't wait that. Now, this is generation after generation after generation. Right? We don't know how old Simeon is, but we can assume uh, that he's an old man, that the Holy Spirit is, you're not going to die until you see uh, the Savior. And so let's just guess maybe he's 70, 80, right? He's ready to, ready to move on. He's ready to, to die and as an old man, and yet he knows that he's not going to die until he sees the Savior. And so we've got six or seven generations 
of, of nothing. And even though that the Messiah has already been born and that, that Gabriel showed up to, to Mary and to Joseph, right? There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. There was no TikTok, right? Mary's not taking pictures like hashtag uh, no pressure. I'm only pregnant with the Messiah. She couldn't do that. And so this guy, Simeon, he knows he's going to see the Savior, but he doesn't know when this is going to happen. And there's no word from God for 400 years. And my guess is that Simeon felt very lonely in his decision to keep following after Yahweh. I, I, can, I can only imagine, you've got this old man who knows, right? and maybe he shared this information that the, that the Spirit had told him, I'm gonna see the Messiah. And imagine if he did share that, how, how he would just be mocked. Like, Simeon, we've been waiting for the Messiah for so long. The last thing we heard in Malachi was that someone was gonna prepare the way for the Messiah, but he's nowhere to be seen. We're wasting, you're wasting your time. This is a joke. This is a fairy tale, this Old Testament of this Messiah coming to save the world. And then he stays faithful in his decision to follow after God. And so, again, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, and he was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. And we can see again, just it's a long time to wait. And I know I don't do well waiting and I don't know what your conversation, maybe you didn't even talk about waiting, but I know I struggle, right? And usually, and this is me and I think this is historically true of humanity, is that when we have to wait for something, we try to fix it ourselves. We take it into our, our own hands. We try to make it right, whatever, whatever the situation may be. And I don't know, normally uh, illustrations come to my head, but it's not right now. I don't know, you order something on Amazon, you don't go like drive to the, <laughs> the distribution place and fix it yourself. That would be, don't do that. That probably wouldn't work out too well. But we usually try to take things into our own hands. And, and the examples biblically that I could think of, just, just a few of them, is you have Abraham and Sarah, that they have been promised. Abraham was promised, you are gonna have a child, you're gonna have a son, and through that son, all the nations of the world are gonna be blessed. And he's old, he's 90, his wife's 80. And they're, they're like, yeah, we can't have children, but God made this promise, and so we believe the promise of God, so we're gonna take it into our own hands. And so Sarah says, why don't you take my servant Hagar, and why don't you uh, have a relationship with her, and then that's where this child will come from, and that doesn't work out well for them. They try to take it into their own hands. Another uh, aspect, I couldn't find like good art <laughs> of this uh, scene. Uh, if, I mean, not that I could do better than this, but if you have an image that you would like to create of this, this is Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel. Um, and, and he can't wait. And even back then there was, there was the state and there was church and or not church, but religion, the religion side of things. And, and, and there was a separate institute there. And so God set up the king and King Saul, and here's our, your responsibilities. Don't even think about doing priestly responsibilities. And he can't wait uh, to perform this sacrifice. And so he does it without Samuel, the priest there. And now you can see the old man, Samuel, coming and waving his finger. How, what did you do? Right? He can't wait. He takes things into his own hand. And so then he loses the kingship and it goes to David. And uh, immediately we're, not immediately, but after a while, David again um, commits uh, at best adultery and murder uh, with this woman with Bathsheba, uh, murders her husband. 
And, and just think of like the, the patience. Like, oh, I see this woman. I would like to marry her. Okay, I'm going to court her. I'm going to ask her out. Oh, you're married. End the story. Like, that's all it takes. But he doesn't. He takes things into his, his own hands. And the problem is that when we take things into our own hands, when we have to wait, and then we don't, and when we don't get what we want, we get mad at God. <laughs> it's, just, it's just what happens, right? And this is when we start to put God to the test. This is like, I, 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 this thing's happening. I'm going through this difficult time in my life. I'm not getting what I want. This thing's not being resolved. So God, you owe me. And we get mad the same way that Job gets mad. If you're not familiar with the story of Job, Job loses everything, all of his possessions, his houses, his cattle, his children, 10 of them, dead, gone. And this is what he does. Hey, God, what, what did I do? What have I done to deserve this? And gets really mad at God. And we, I don't think, have ever gone through anything substantial like Job, at least not like that, and yet we're so quick to put him to the test. I've been faithful. I don't deserve this. How could you let this happen to me? You owe me. Uh, just this last Friday night, Angela and I went and saw Les Mis, uh, or Les Miserables, obviously. Uh, we, we went uh, downtown and, and were able to see this play. And, and I, it, it was interesting because I saw it when I was in high school in Chicago, um, but I didn't really care. You know what I mean? Like I remember, like I remember the gun scene was cool, uh, but I, I don't. I didn't really, you know. And, and since I've gotten older and matured a little bit, I uh, have learned to really, uh, really love this. My niece is Cassette. Uh, she was named after Cassette. We call her Coco um, from this play. My sister uh, loves this play. And so let me give you a little glimpse into the life of a, of a pastor or a preacher. Um, and if you, if you do any kind of uh, communicating or lecturing, I'm sure you probably have the same kind of thing, but it is impossible <laughs> to sit through a movie or listen to a song or see your child interact with another human being and not go, hmm, I could use that on Sunday. You know what I mean? Like you just, there's just, you're just constantly taking inventory of things, right? And, and it's the same with Les Mis, and I, and I knew that was the case. I know the story, right? Victor Hugo writes the story in, where is it, 1862, writes this play. And, and in his own description, it uh, um, examines the nature of law and grace. And it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere looking at these characters and, and knowing that I'm going to have Javert, right, the law who does things right and he should be rewarded for his righteousness and those who are evil like Jean Valjean should be punished for their wickedness and their behavior. And so these are the, the protagonists, if you will, the main uh, people of the story. And so Jean Valjean, who is who's under the law, being crushed by the law, he's sent to prison for 19 years for stealing some bread and he's kind of put on parole and he has to wear this, this thing that marks that he's an ex-prisoner and he's just constantly being beat up and, and, and can't get a job. And so he finally rips it off. And so the whole, one of the main aspects of the story is Javert, the law, chasing down somebody who doesn't deserve grace and mercy, but deserves the righteous arm of the law. But while Jean Verjean is, is running and freed from the law, he uh, becomes wealthy and he finds little Cassette in the forest and, and tries to find her mother, um, Fontaine, Fontaine, Fantine, Fontaine, uh, and finds her and she's dying and he vows that he would care for Cassette. And that's kind of the, 
the gist of the story. And it's a beautiful story of, of redemption, of grace that's shown in the law and justice and how it torments him as righteousness, as, as someone who's being uh, crushed by the law shows the lawman grace. It's very powerful. It was interesting though, as I was listening to the play and watching it, obviously, um, I knew what passage I was gonna be preaching on. And so I just had this, this lens or this filter that I had just never really listened to these songs before. And one was just that I just had never noticed it ever in the songs that there's probably eight or nine times where there's references to God being dead, that God is not worth it. Uh, you're waiting in vain. Uh, he's dead, uh, right? That they're, they're under the, they, they, they would are under this impression like Job or like we would get that when we're in a season of waiting, say, God, you owe me. I haven't done anything wrong. I stole a bite of bread for my family and I've paid 19 years of my life. I'm done with this. And so I just have a, a, couple, a couple quotes here. It starts off with this song. You've got these um, slaves that are, are, I think they're rowing a boat, uh, something, and they're chained to the oars. And one convict says, I've done nothing. I've done no wrong. Sweet Jesus, hear my prayer. And all the other prisoners then join in. Look down, look down. Sweet Jesus doesn't care. Going on to Fontaine, she's dreaming. She's telling this story, this beautiful song. There was, I mean, I, I, I cried a lot. You know what I mean? It's just one of these plays. And she's singing. She says, I dreamed a dream in time gone by. I won't sing these. I will spare you that, I promise, this morning. When hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. Right? She's, she's fantasizing or, or thought when she was young and naive in her youth that things would just be good and rainbows and sunshine and and butterflies, and that God would be forgiving, but that, that's not the case. She falls into darkness and doesn't find that God listening and forgiving. Again, Fontaine, she says, my daughter is close to dying. If there is a God above, he'd let me die instead. There's all this antagonism towards God. Javert, the lawman, the inspector, he says he knows his way in the dark. Speaking of, of Jean Verjean, he knows his ways in the dark. Mine is the way of the Lord, and those who follow the path of the righteous shall have the reward. And so it has been, and so it is written on the doorway to paradise that those who falter and those who fall must pay the price, right? I was just like, I, I'm like, Javert, man, you, you gotta know the gospel, right? You're under the law right now, and that kills people, and it's gonna ultimately kill you. This is uh, the, the speaker of the house. I don't even wanna try to pronounce his name. He's an innkeeper. He's, uh, there's a big battle and a bunch of dead bodies there and he's, he's uh, kind of taking their gold rings and their gold teeth and he's, he's stealing from them. And he says, it's a world where the dog eats the dog, where they kill for the bones in the street. And God in his heaven, he doesn't interfere because he's dead. As the stiffs at my feet, I raise my eyes to see the heavens and only the moon looks down. <laughs> I know I've mentioned this before. We sing a song by Ann Steele, I Need Thee Every Hour. Very popular hymn, uh, and it has been for hundreds of years. But she wrote it when she was on a mountaintop. She wrote it when everything was going well. And that's why she wrote the song, I Need Thee Every Hour, because when we're in the pit, when we're in despair, it's really easy to look to God and go, God, 
where are you? You owe me. And then still in the song, it says, no, the high and the lows, we need God every hour. And so now, after a lifetime of waiting, speaking of Simeon here, says this, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. The consolation, I always think of, you know, playing, playing basketball, there was always a consolation prize, the loser's bracket, you know what I mean? It was always a, who, oh, who's gonna win third place? Yeah, let's go watch that game, stupid. That's not, I mean, it is kind of that, but consolation by definition is the comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. Right, this is, there's, a, there's disappointment and there's now something that's gonna be comfort the comfort of Israel after disappointment of where is he? Where is the Messiah waiting and waiting? And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah and moved by the Spirit. He went to the temple courts. Would have been busy. It was a huge, huge temple that would have been there. And he goes to the temple courts. There's people selling and buying animals for sacrifices. It was exactly what Mary and Joseph would have done. They were poor. So they would have bought these two little pigeons to, to be their sacrifice. And, and, there's, and here is Simeon now going in there. And Simeon took him in his arms, right? He's literally holding sweet eight pounds, six ounce little baby Jesus, right? Like literally holding the Messiah. And after waiting and waiting, he's now holding this child and, and, uh, and going, going back to Les Mis, because there's, it, it blew my mind listening to this, this play. You have uh, Jean Verjean. He, there's, this, there's this change in tone and tenor and lighting that he's an old man now. He's, he's dying on his deathbed. And basically he tells his, his, uh, his daughter, he's giving her away. He knows that he's a crook. He's run from the law. Uh, and that if, he's, if, if he, who he really is is exposed, then she will lose everything. And she will be cast down into the pit of despair. And he doesn't want that. So he says, I'm gonna leave and you, this new, new uh, fling, you know, this love of her life, you take him, I'm gonna leave. Then he sings this song, God on high, hear my prayer. Take me now to thy care where you are. Right? There's a tone. It's not just, oh, you know, God reward them. It's now, I wanna be, I wanna be with my savior. Let me be, take me now, take me there, bring me home. Bring me home. And you can, I mean, I can't even begin to wrap my mind and emotions around this old man who's ready to die but can't because he, the Holy Spirit said, you're not gonna die until you see this baby. And Jesus was eight days old in this scene, right? He's holding an eight-day-old baby and he's worshiping. He's worshiping this child. And he says, sovereign Lord, as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. And I don't know if Victor Hugo used Simeon as a source for writing his play, but one of the last scenes, Cassette comes back. She should be long gone, but she can't leave her dad, her father figure, and she comes back to him and this is his response. Now you are here again beside me and I can die in peace. I'm like, what? Victor, uh, plagiarism. No. For now my life is blessed. And then he switches his, 
his words now to God. Forgive me all my trespasses and take me into your glory and remember the truth that once was spoken to love another person is to see the face of God. And so let's look now at Simeon's prayer. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen, are seen, your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. It's gonna say in the next verse that the child and mother marveled at what was said about him. Well, yeah, I know he's the savior, but we're talking about Israel here. We're talking about the Hebrews. We're talking about those of Jewish ethnicity, all nations. What are you talking about? Well, what we know is that Simeon clearly is a student of God's word. He knew the word of God, and he didn't just know it, he believed it. He can go back and look at Genesis 12 and 15 and look at that God makes a covenant promise to Abraham and says that the people, all the people of the world will be blessed through your descendant, through the line that's gonna come from you. And the thing is, the Israelites interpret that as not that all the nations will be blessed through Israel, through the nation of Israel. But, but he's now saying, oh, no, no, this is, this is a revelation to the Gentiles. Something's changing here. It specifically quotes Isaiah 42, six through seven. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. That's what Simeon's talking about. Jesus starts his ministry with this. He goes into the temple, opens a scroll, reads this passage, drops the scroll, and he's like, yeah, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. To open the eyes of the blind, to free the captives from prison, and to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. This is not just to free someone physically bound in a prison. We're gonna see this from John the Baptist, the one who has prophesied, is gonna be in prison and he's gonna send some disciples to Jesus and say, hey, can you just double check? Is he really the Messiah? Because I'm about to get my head chopped off for him, for my little cuss. I always wanna make sure he's, he's the real deal. And Jesus tells the disciples, go back and quote this to him. But Jesus leaves out the phrase, free the captives from prison. I think he does it on purpose because, and while Jesus does heal people physically, while he does uh, physically help people from their sicknesses or whatever it may be, their ailments, that's not why he came. He came to be the bread of life. He came to be a well of water that will never run dry, where we will never thirst again. And he's taken people from death to life, from darkness to light. And Simeon gets that. He's going to open the eyes. We're going to see, everyone's going to see the Messiah. And so do we take God at his word the way Simeon did? Simeon got it. Simeon believed it. Or when I get tired of waiting on the Lord, do I try to add my interpretation to what God said? I don't know, man. I know, God, you, you've said this in your word, but man, I don't like that. Man, I just doesn't fit with my narrative, doesn't fit with my story. Or do we wait? And then we have here Simeon's prophetic blessing. 
It says in Luke 25, starting in verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that we've spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What? Hey, Simeon, what are you talking about? This is Christmas, right? This is peace on earth and goodwill toward men, right? This is, this is joy and celebration. I mean, Simeon, you're kind of being a downer here, bro. Like that, uh, this doesn't sound like good news of the gospel. It sounds kind of negative. But then Jesus grows up. Jesus is gonna echo the exact same sentiment that Simeon has here in Luke. We read in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34. Do not, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to those on earth. What? Maybe you were a baby. You don't remember what the angel said about you. I don't know. Don't, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, Jesus said this? Yes. What's the sword? What is this that's gonna pierce? For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I feel like that's, pretty easy to do, but a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That's a sword. That will cause people to rise up and fall. That will cause families to be divided. That when I take Jesus at his word, when I take the teachings of what has been written about him, and I apply this way to my life and my thinking and my, the way I raise my children, being impacted to be a follower of Jesus. Not one just, yeah, I'm just casual. Yeah, I go to church, I do this. No, I'm, I'm gonna devote my life to following Jesus. I'm gonna give money to a church. We're talking about inflation, does this, this is what I'm gonna do. Well, you're, you're actually giving money to an institution that has ruined countless numbers of lives throughout thousands of years. Really, that's what you're gonna do? Well, you're gonna spend your time there. You're gonna put your kids in Sunday school. You're gonna actually indoctrinate them with this stuff. It's fairy tales. Nothing new under the sun. Simeon probably heard the same arguments. Mary probably heard the same arguments. I used to think that this was a metaphor. When I was a kid, I used to think, oh, oh, I think Jesus just meant this. Like, it's gonna, it's gonna look like I hate my mom or my dad. Like that clearly isn't true, but the older I get, holy smokes, do we see this. I, I mean, I know there are people in this room who have brothers, sisters, moms, dads, spouses, who are like, yeah, I don't believe this garbage. What a waste of time. It's hard and we wait. And yet we're told over and over to hold on to our faith. And when we do that, we seem ignorant, we seem 
whatever adjective you want to fill in there, from people that don't like it, from our family members that don't like it, spouse, brother, sister, friends. And people have said things that are hurtful and hateful. And I fear the day when I grow older and my kids say hateful things. We too are pierced with a sword of betrayal, just like Mary. It will be, has been the same, the same betrayal that the Savior felt on the cross, being betrayed by one of his best friends with a kiss. And the older I get, the harder and harder it gets to wait on the Lord. It does. And yet, he always shows up faithful, not in some big way, maybe not even in my life, but I see it in other people's lives. And I look at the historical account of the Bible and I go, yeah, he is good. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of faithfulness. He's worthy of holding on to in spite of what others might say about me, in spite of the knives that I have in my back. He's worth it. And so in gospel application, will you wait on the Lord? When you wait on the Lord with me, will we do this together? And like, like I, I thought this was like Christmas. I thought this was like a, like, a, like a fun service. I know it probably should have been, but I just, I don't know. Maybe my heart was just here. I don't know. I tried to do a little double entendre with the title of still waiting. And it's not just, yeah, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting, I'm still waiting. The Bible tells us to be still and know that he is God. And I think that there is a time and a place for us to just be still while we're waiting, still waiting. To know that he's got this figured out. It seems like the world, our families, our lives, our jobs are falling apart around us. He's got it. He's had it for a long time. And someday he's gonna come back and he's gonna make everything right. (laughs) Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, be still and know that I am God. Because I know a lot of us are gonna travel, we're gonna see friends and family for Christmas. Maybe you're gonna wanna go read Luke 2 or you're gonna wanna pray before the meal and there's gonna be ridicule and mockery. It's hard. Maybe you're gonna tell your kids, hey, opening presents isn't really what Christmas is about. Yeah, it is. It's hard. We're going to have communion. Uh, we do this every week at Lower Town. And so we're going to take these elements. And um, all I would ask that you're a follower of Jesus. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church for that matter. But just to renew our faith, renew our strength, and know that this is a community. Or we're, we're a family. And again, I know there are those, some of us are walking into some really difficult uh, tumultuous times over the holiday, holidays, that we get to talk and comfort and help one another. You're not in this alone. You don't have to wait by yourself. And that's what taking these elements does, that we do this together. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd love for you to partake of these elements. The wafer that represents the broken body of Christ, the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us, that we get to remember the fact that he was pierced for our transgressions, 
that we don't have to pay for our sins, that he did it. He lived the law perfectly so that we who can't live the law are now set free from the law to live under the grace. Let me pray. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back up. They're gonna sing uh, three songs. And so as you see fit, feel free to come forward, grab those elements and take a seat and pray, repent, uh, rejoice, praise God. And feel free to stand and sing at any point uh, that you'd like to as we remember the finished work of God, as we remember him being betrayed the same way that we might feel betrayed and know that he is a God of his word, that when he says he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it and he's done it. And just like Simeon, we might feel like we're waiting. It's been thousands of years, God. When are you gonna do something? When are you gonna show up? Wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that right now you are seated on your throne. You're not pacing around wondering what's gonna happen. You know exactly what's going on in our world, in our country, in our state, in our city, in our families, in our souls. You know exactly what's going on. You see us, you hear us, you know us. And so as we partake of these elements, I just pray that we would as a community partake of this meal together that the church has been partaking in for thousands of years, that we are a community, not just even now, there's so much larger of a universal church that has been going on for so long to remember the finished work of Christ and to remember that you are worth it. You are worthy of honor. You are worthy of praise. And so you would just help those of us that are in a hard, difficult time to hold fast, to put our faith in you, to know that you are worth it. And that our eyes will see salvation face to face someday. We love you, we praise you, and it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.